Luke 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us pray. Our Father, as we now turn our attention to the word of Christ here in Luke 21, we pray for your help, that your spirit would come that you would help us to listen and take to heart these words. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For Christians, the importance of listening to and remembering the words of our Lord cannot be overstated. It's why we keep the word of God before you here in this church. It's why we seek to memorize the words of the Lord. It's, it's why the central focus of each worship service is on the proclamation of the word of the Lord. We live by faith in the word of the Lord. If we neglect the word of the Lord, our faith simply won't survive when trouble comes. Like so many boys who grew up on a farm, I would uh, tag along with my dad while he went about doing his work, and year by year, as I grew, he would allow me to help him where he thought I could. My dad uh, fed pigs, and so I was often with him when he would be running the feed mixer. He also raised corn and beans and uh, stored uh, the crops in grain bins, so I was often with him when he'd dump loads into the bins using an auger or got loads out of the bin um, to take the town from, from the, uh, the, the bins and, and through the auger. And I don't remember everything he said to me in those years, but one thing I do remember quite clearly, he told me that when you're running the tractor, especially along with the, the PTO, which of course ran the augers and the mixer, if things, he said, if things ever go haywire, the first thing to do is just to shut off that tractor engine, just shut off the engine. And for the tractors that we, we were running in those days, that was just as simple as turning off the key. Just turn the key off, engine shuts down, PTO shuts down, and you can prevent any further trouble. So when things go haywire, that's what you are to do. And uh, I remembered those words. 
There were different occasions when things did go haywire on the farm, and I followed those instructions. Like my father, we find the Lord Jesus in our passage today beginning to provide some words of instructions for his disciples that they are to remember for when things will go haywire for them. He makes it clear that troubling times are ahead for them and what will help them and us most when these hard times come is to remember the words of our Lord Jesus. So that's our main theme from this passage this morning. We must remember the words of Jesus in the midst of chaotic times that are sure to come. These verses are at the beginning of a longer section of teaching by Jesus, focused on what is to come here in chapter 21. Uh, It's all in response to the questions found there in verse 7 that we just read. Verse 7, they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So this question was in response to what Jesus had just said about the coming destruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem, which took place just 40 years after he said these things. But Jesus goes on to, to not just refer to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, but also he points forward to his second coming and the end of the age. As one writer put it, the primary purpose of what Luke records for us in this chapter is to provide a view of the ultimate end in the distant future through the lens of the destruction of Jerusalem that was in the immediate future. So we're going to work through chapter 21 in the next few weeks, uh, starting today with just what Jesus says first in response to those questions. And he says three main things. He says, first, chaotic times are sure to come. Chaotic times are sure to come. But he says, we must not be led astray. And we are not to panic. Chaotic times are sure to come. We must not be led astray. And we must not panic. So first, chaotic times are sure to come, verses 5 and 6. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the Temple Mount was an impressive place. It was known as one of the wonders of the ancient world. The foundation stones were humongous from the stones that uh, archaeologists have studied uh, at the temple site in Jerusalem. The largest ones they have determined were 45 feet long, 11 and a half feet high, and 14 feet deep, and they weighed over a million pounds. Scholars have said, the magnitude of the temple mount and the stones used to construct it exceed in size any other temple in the ancient world. It was an impressive place. The offerings that are mentioned here in, in verse 5 refer to the fancy ornaments that were displayed at the temple. We might refer to them as 
the decorations that were displayed on, on the walls and the doors and the tapestries that were hung around the temple. Uh, the most famous history of Israel written by uh, 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 Josephus, a Jewish historian who was alive at the time of Jesus, uh, writes this regarding the temple in those days. He says, the gate opening into the temple was completely overlaid with gold, as was the whole wall around it. It had above it golden vines from which hung grape clusters as tall as man, and it had golden doors 55 cubits high and 16 broad. That's 82 and a half feet by 24 feet. Before these hung a veil of equal length of Babylonian tapestry with embroidery of blue and fine linen, of scarlet also and purple, wrought with marvelous skill. Those were the, the offerings that Jesus mentions here. Another historian, uh, Roman um, historian from around the first century, Tacitus, also described the temple at this time as being immensely opulent. So we can understand why those who visited the temple for the Passover were so impressed by what they saw. It was an impressive place. Jews took so much pride in it. But Jesus was not impressed. Jesus was not impressed. If you remember what happened not long after Jesus first entered Jerusalem, for Passover week, he showed his authority over the temple by driving out the vendors, driving out their animals and the money changers. He called out the religious leaders at that point, just de de declaring there that the temple was to be a house of prayer for the nations, but that they had turned it into a den of thieves. The temple, of course, was supposed to be the sign of God's very presence among his people the sign of his blessing upon his people and their land. And here was Jesus, God in the flesh, and they had rejected him. They had refused to listen to him. The temple may have been a very impressive place of worship from the outside, but just like the scribes who liked to walk around in long robes that Jesus warned about in the previous chapter, there wasn't much spiritual life going on on the inside of the impressive structure. Remember what the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the Lord Jesus here, he just takes us this opportunity to announce that the day is coming when the temple, the center of the Jewish universe at the time, would be thrown down. All the stones just thrown down. It would be completely and utterly destroyed. Look at verse 6 again. As for these things you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So as you can imagine, this would have been shocking for the Jewish worshipers to hear. Here in uh, our neck of the woods, uh, most of the people that I know in this community work in Norfolk, uh, or their life in one way or another is centered in or around Norfolk. So this would be like someone who is a trusted authority all of a sudden declaring that the time is coming when, North, when Norfolk will be utterly destroyed. Not one building will remain standing. 
So this definitely got the attention of the disciples and those who are listening to Jesus' teaching here in the temple. Jesus was saying, destruction is coming. Troubling times are ahead. You will experience terrible things, so you better be ready, for they are sure to take place. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus goes on to describe in more detail the chaotic times that, as he put it, must take place. Wars, insurrections, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, disease outbreaks, terrors, calamities, these things that that disrupt life and cause many deaths and trouble for whole nations, Jesus warns they will come and that they must take place. In verse 6, Jesus was being very specific, pointing at the temple and describing the destruction that would come to the temple. And sure enough, our historian Josephus describes for us in his history of Israel what did happen in AD 70, just 40 years after Jesus said this. Josephus reported, Caesar ordered the whole city, that is the whole city of Jerusalem, and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no sign for believing that it had ever been inhabited. That may have been a little overstatement for Josephus, but he gets the point across. So the word of Jesus proved true in the case of the temple. So we must then trust in every word of what Jesus says regarding what we must prepare for and how we are to respond to chaotic times. And we get into that next year. Verses 7 and 8. We must not be led astray by phonies who will rise up in the church. Verse 7 and 8. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. So after hearing uh, Jesus' announcement regarding the destruction of the temple, Luke tells us they asked him two main questions. The the they here are probably referring to the disciples, and they asked him a question about the timing of it. The question, when? And they asked him about what to look for so they would know that it was about to happen, that is, what will be the sign? What will alert us? And Jesus doesn't directly answer their questions, but he does take the opportunity to help to prepare them and prepare us with his response to them. So first he warns them to not be led astray by phonies who would claim to be the Messiah or simply claim to speak and act for God. He, he, he warns the disciples and us to watch out for such people who tend to rise up, especially during times of crisis. This was true for the Jews in Jerusalem prior to the uprising and destruction of the temple in AD 70. Historians uh, report about a few different figures who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be I am he, and had groups of followers, a couple who rose up and led a rebellion against Rome, but who were soundly defeated. So during trying times, we want to follow strong leaders. We love it when strong leaders rise up in times of 
great trouble. We are drawn to people who exhibit confidence and authority. And Jesus is warning us that, that during times when we are unsure of ourselves, when, when we are a bit shaken because of what is happening around us, we will be tempted to follow people like this. Follow people who rise up and who make bold claims. And he's saying we ought to be careful of who we will follow. We ought to be careful of who we will listen to. This was true for the people of Israel during the attack on uh, Jerusalem in AD 70. Uh, we, we, we read about one leader who claimed to speak for God and called on the Jews to retreat into the temple. He declared they would be safe in the temple, that the Lord would surely protect them in the temple, that Rome could not harm them if they took shelter in the temple. But as Jesus warned in verse 6, the temple was not invincible. And hundreds of Jews who listened and who took shelter in the temple were slaughtered there by the Romans. We must take care for the things that these false teachers say seem to make sense. Wouldn't that have made sense to you? Go to the temple. Surely God will protect you there. Well, yeah, of course he would. Let's go there. Let's follow this guy. What they say seems to make sense. They sound right, even wise. But do they sound like Jesus? If they would have known Jesus' words here, they wouldn't have gone to the temple. Do what they say, does it match up with what Jesus said? Are we paying attention to his words? Two years ago, the COVID-19 pandemic took over our nation. It was a time of crisis. And just like Jesus predicted here, many leaders rose up. They rose up from within the church. Guys on the internet making videos, making claims of conspiracy theories or, or claiming that, that they knew what was really going on and how these were clear signs of the end times. And many, many Christians listened to them and shared their teaching with all their friends. These people weren't claiming to be the Christ, but they were claiming that, that they knew what was really going on, that they had it all figured out. They were claiming a certain authority and that we should listen to them if we knew what was good for us. Friends, this has happened during every national crisis, and it will continue to happen. So be leery of people like that. Know that you are naturally drawn to people like that, who really seem like they know what they're talking about, who are bold, who are strong, who are making bold claims. Don't be led astray by them. We ought to take note that the first warning our Lord gives us here is regarding people who arise up within our own ranks. We see here and elsewhere in the New Testament that the greatest threats to believers are not external dangers, but are from within the household of faith. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus. 
a church that he dearly loved, where he had stayed and taught for over two years. And Paul uh, was meeting with them probably for the last time before he would be killed. And he warned them not about those who might do them harm from the outside of the church, but primarily about those who would rise up from within, within their ranks. Acts 20, verses 29 and 30 says, this is Paul's words, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay, notice, among you, they'll be among you within the church. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, he says. Be alert. How many times have you heard or read a Bible teacher claim that the Lord had spoken to them personally? I've heard guys say, you know, they're riding in their car or they're praying at their breakfast table and they, they hear the Lord say something to them personally. The Lord spoke to them, telling them to do something or to teach a certain message or to, to, to lead this, this certain ministry. Once, once I hear a Bible teacher say something like that, I stop listening to him. Just stop. For now, they have stepped over the, the, the line of just being a person teaching what God says from the scriptures, is what they ought to be doing. And now they're saying, well, actually, that's not sufficient. Not sufficient. You need something more. You need what God told me personally. That's what you need. This isn't sufficient anymore. Now you need what God told me. And aren't you privileged? Aren't you privileged to be able to hear what God told me? When you hear that, friends, turn them off, change the station, throw their book into the recycling bin if someone claims that God spoke to them directly. See that you are not led astray. We need to be assured that if Jesus warned his disciples here to not be led astray, that he does believe that there is a way for you not to be deceived. Just as he was certain that people would come in his name to lead believers astray, he is also certain that we can keep ourselves from following them. And I believe the key, the primary way for you to keep yourselves from being led astray by these kinds of teachers is to know your Bibles. Know the truth as well as you can with the help of the Holy Spirit, praying for his, for his help in understanding, praying for his help in seeing what's really here, to have ears to hear the truths of the gospel. Just like with uh, people who work with money, um, the primary way for them to be able to tell if a bill is counterfeit is by carefully studying genuine dollar bills. So the best way for you to be able to recognize teaching that, that isn't faithful to the gospel is by carefully studying and immersing yourself in the truth of God's word. The more you know the Bible and what Jesus really says, the easier it will be for you to discern something you hear that really isn't faithful to the gospel. You'll be able to, to just smell it. 
if something sounds a little fishy to you. Another key way for you to check on, on teaching or teachers you hear or read um, is to see who has granted them the authority to teach. Are they ordained? Is anyone standing behind these teachers, giving their approval of what, they're, what they are teaching? Is there a respected authoritative body who has ordained them to preach and teach? And what is that body? What is that association? Have they gone through a credentialing process by which their understanding of the scriptures has been tested and approved? So many preachers and authors out there today have not been sanctioned by any church denomination or association at all. This means there is no authoritative body holding them accountable for what they are teaching. And I realize there are many independent churches and non-denominational churches nowadays, and I'm certainly not saying that every pastor who is in one of those churches would be a false teacher. I'm just pointing out that when you have an authoritative body who has given their blessing and commendation of a pastor or a teacher's ministry, of their calling, of their biblical faithfulness, that provides a measure of protection against the likelihood of that man's teaching to be contrary to the scriptures. So take care, brothers and sisters. There are and will be phonies who will rise up in the church teaching all kinds of wonderfully sounding things, but take care not to be led astray by them. And next, we are not to panic when chaos comes, but trust that the Lord is sovereign over it. Verses 9 through 11. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So take note here that each of these things that Jesus mentions is scary and is very serious. Take note also that each of these things has happened in our world very recently. And it seems more is likely to come on the horizon for us. But just as Jesus clearly says in verse 9, the end will not be at once. In other words, when these horrible things take place, it can sure seem like the end of the world. How many times have you thought that it's the end of the world in the last two years? You know, could this be the end? I was a little surprised on, on Friday night. We were on our way uh, traveling to Iowa, and we stopped uh, to eat at Arunza. They had the radio on over the speakers in the dining area of the restaurant, and it was at the top of the hour, so the radio had a news break, and uh, they're listening to some country music station here in northeast Nebraska, and so the news was, it's not, you know, the, it's not a Christian station, but the news was of the national media broadcast, I'm not sure which one it was, uh, and they mentioned in that national media broadcast over the radio that with the war in Ukraine, how people are beginning to wonder if we are in the end times. If the Lord Jesus is about to return. They even said that. And they had interviewed on there two prominent evangelical Bible teachers who gave their interpretations of the events that are now taking place. In other words, could this be the end? 
national media broadcast asking that, that question, could this be the end? Well, think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, where the men are being given machine guns to stand and fight to defend country while they send their wives and children to Poland or Moldova to flee the war. I'm sure they have been haunted by similar thoughts. Could this be the end of the world? It sure seems like it. But just because we'll face wars and tumults, nation rising up against nation, great earthquakes, natural disasters, famines, pestilences, children going hungry, and many people dying from new viruses and sicknesses, it doesn't necessarily mean that the end is upon us. Verse 9, but the end will not be at once. It was awful. It is awful. But it doesn't necessarily mean now is that time. Think of the Jews in, in Jerusalem in AD 70 when the mighty stones of the temple were being thrown down. People were being slaughtered in Jerusalem where the city was razed to the ground, thousands killed. It was awful. It was terrible. But that was way back in AD 70. The end was, was not yet. Our Lord, our Lord is assuring us here that these things must take place, that as they are planned, he knows they are coming. They, they, they will not keep God from working out his plan for redemption of the world and the consummation of all things. Jesus is Lord. And he will still be the Lord when these things come. He is sovereign over them. And he is here calling us to trust him in the midst of chaotic times when these things are going on all around us, to trust him, to know these things must happen. They must happen. In, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus refers to these things as just being the beginning of the birth pains. Uh, I think of when uh, Greta and I were expecting our first child, and we went to all the, the prenatal birthing classes at the hospital, and we, we, we were told there what we were to expect. They, of course, told us all about the labor pains and how to cope with them. And they helped us to know almost all that we might experience in that process. Well, just imagine if we wouldn't have taken those classes. Imagine if no one would have ever told us about labor pains. Or if we had no idea that, that these labor pains might last hours, even days. What would we have thought was going on when we were in the thick of those labor pains. If we, have been, if we would have been completely ignorant of what to expect, what would we have thought when this was going on? Aren't you glad that you knew for your own experience that you were clearly told about those labor pains, that they must take place? Well, our Lord is mercifully letting us know what to expect. So when they come, when they're happening, we know, oh yeah, he told us about this. Oh yeah, we are to expect it. These events must take place. So we are not to panic. However, these events should spark terror among those who are not prepared. Those who do not trust that God controls the ultimate outcome of history. 
Christians are not to panic. We are never to panic. We know who holds the future. We know that in the end, he will reign on the earth, along with all those who have been saved by his grace. Those who have put their trust in him and have followed him by remembering his words and doing what he has said. But for those who have not listened to his words, for those who have not repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus, these things should spark terror in their hearts. It should draw them to seek out the Savior. So are things going haywire in our world? Are we in a time of chaos? Well, that might depend on where you live. We got a lot to complain about here, but our homes and our hospitals are not being bombed, at least not yet. We are living in serious times, definitely hard times, so how will we respond? Well, we are to remember the words of our Savior. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Get to know them better. Teach them to your children. And make sure, make sure that the one who reigns over all the world, that he is your king, that he is your savior, that you are following him. And when things go haywire, trust him. Listen to what he says. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be faithful to your word. And so I pray for each one here. We are in the midst of some troubling times, some big events taking place in our world, things that you have told us here in your word, they would come. They must take place. So Lord, help us now. If we, if we have not been taking your word seriously before, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we would will, we would be determined, that we would be purposeful, intentional to listen to what you say and to let our response to these things be guided by what you say. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Let's stand and praise our God together as a church. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.